Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And today on the podcast, one of our favourite contributors is with us again, this time to talk about her menopause journey and why you might be neglecting one very important part of your body when it comes to your moisturising regime. So every day you have to moisturise your vulva and your vaginal canal. So I, I looked into what are the best moisturizers for that. And depending on where you live, there are moisturizers. And they, they ideally should contain hyaluronic acid, which is also a very popular ingredient of facial moisturizers because, you know, our skin gets dry and you have to moisturize. So I know you are going to really look forward to hearing from the brilliant Mona El Tahawi in a few moments. But I just wanted to, first of all, read a story from the paper this week about Two women who were allegedly trafficked and required to work as prostitutes in rural Ireland amid threats and a debt bondage situation. The case has been ongoing in the Dublin Circuit Criminal Court and I think it just gives an insight into a world that we don't hear enough about and that we need to be talking and thinking a bit more about. So these two women were allegedly trafficked from Brazil and one of the women uh, who was allegedly trafficked, told the court that she was moved to a different rural town every week and that in Enniscorthy, County Wexford, a man tried to break into the house while in Tralee, County Kerry, the men there were very violent, she said. And she also outlined a situation in Port Arlington, County Leash, when a client demanded his money back and beat her up after the service, and I put that in inverted commas um, because that's debatable, isn't it? The service was provided. It was this instant that led her to a decision to always keep a knife by her bed. Now, the state alleges that the two women who are accused of trafficking the Brazilian women for the purpose of exploiting these women and taking advantage of their vulnerability to such an extent as to cause the trafficked person to have no real or acceptable alternative but to submit to being trafficked. So we're just going to give you a bit from uh, one of the people um, who have been allegedly trafficked uh, she was given evidence that her plane ticket was bought by a woman named Lisa and she was met at the airport by a woman named Natalia and brought to an apartment in Port Arlington. She was giving evidence via a video link through an interpreter. Um, she was a 35-year-old woman and she outlined three very traumatising incidents for her. She said she became very fearful following one incident in Port Arlington. I would always keep a knife close to the bed so I could protect myself. This happened after a client beat her up after he demanded money back after she had provided, again, that phrase, the service. To defend myself, I got a knife and tried to get him out of the apartment. During that time, I called Lisa. I had a knife in one hand and the phone in the other. She told me not to do anything to the client, that I should let him leave. She was very worried about the client, she later told me. I should never react when a client wanted to beat me or wanted the money back. The complainant continued. She said Lisa was not worried about her. The second incident happened in Enniscorthy when a guy wanted to come in who appeared to be very out of himself. She said she called a woman and told them that she had a knife. They threatened to call immigration on her if she was violent towards any man because that would bring complications. She said Lisa then called her and told her that she was not supposed to hurt the man. She was very offensive and she threatened me, she said. And she said in her final week in Port Arlington, she had a sore throat and a fever and Lisa told her that a client wanted her to perform oral sex without protection. She told Lisa that she was unwell, but she said Lisa didn't mind. The woman said that when the client arrived, she told him she was in no condition to provide that service. I hate that word, sorry. So he started to assault me physically. It was a very intense fight. I had injuries, bruises all over my body. She said she managed to get the knife and when the man said he wanted his money back, she held up the knife. He stopped doing what he was doing to me. At this moment, he knew I was very serious, that I was intent on defending myself. So he put his hands up and left the apartment. 
She said she was completely fearful and in terror and left the apartment because she was afraid the man would come back. She went to a local coffee shop and called Lisa. She told Lisa that she was very ill, but she wasn't allowed to visit a doctor or get access to medication. She said Lisa was only worried about the client. She never asked if I was okay. And the trial um, is continuing before Judge Patricia Ryan and a jury. Earlier, the woman told the jury that Lisa phoned her the morning after her arrival and told her men would be coming to the apartment and Lisa would phone and tell her when to open the door. She instructed me on how to perform, but I'm not sure I should say, the woman told the court. When asked to continue, the woman said she, Lisa, asked me if I could perform oral sex without condoms, if I accepted if they ejaculate into my mouth. She told me if I want penetration to happen with or without protection, if I was to have vaginal or anal sex, because all this information would have to be said to the men for the cost. During the call, she told me I should do this or that way because this would attract more clients. The woman told the jury she was given instructions about how much the men had to pay according to what services they wanted me to perform. I never had an option to say I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't the one deciding. The woman said she couldn't recall how many men visited her in the apartment in Port Tarlington. At the end of the week, she said she was instructed that she would be driven by a man to a house in Enniscorthy where she performed the same work. She said she then moved to a house in Tralee. Every week I would be sent to a new location. When asked if she was given a choice about moving, the woman replied, I didn't have an option. I didn't know anyone here. I didn't speak English. If she said I had to go, I had to go. The woman described an alleged incident in Enniscorthy where a man tried to break into the house where she was staying on her own. I was very frightened. In relation to Tralee, the woman said there was another woman staying with her in the house that week. The men were quite violent there. They wanted to break in or steal things. So myself and the other girl had to be watching all the time. In relation to payment for her work, work, service, these words. The woman told the court she was instructed to receive cash from the men when they arrived and hide it in the apartment. At the end of the week, she said she was instructed to deposit it into an account via a bank cash machine. So I just, I know that was quite long, but I really wanted to read that report out because this is happening in Ireland today, happening in Tralee, in Port Arlington, all over the country. And this alleged incident is certainly not the only one happening, but I just don't think we talk enough about it. I read, I don't know if you did, but many of you might have read uh, Mia Doring's book, Any Girl, which is the story of her own recovery from sexual exploitation. I'd really recommend that you read it, that you talk about it to your friends. And I definitely think we're going to have to come back to this subject on the women's podcast because it's too under the radar and it's something that we don't kind of face up to properly. And that is not right when there are women like the ones you've just heard from being mistreated in this way, allegedly all over the country. It's just appalling, you know, that men are doing this to women and that women are being brought in from other countries and forced to do these things against their will, essentially. Um, So that's why I wanted to bring it up and hopefully we'll come back to the subject on another podcast. But today we're going to be talking about the M word, not menstruation, although it is connected, Not motherhood, although again, it's connected. We are talking about menopause and it's quite timely because I see a report today that in England, UK menopause law change is rejected as it could discriminate against men. Would you believe it? The UK government has rejected a proposal to introduce pilots of workplace menopause leave in England and dismissed recommendations to make the menopause a protected characteristic as part of the Equality Act. Making the menopause a protected characteristic would mean employers would have a duty to make reasonable adjustments for menopausal employees. The government argued that such a move could have unintended consequences which may inadvertently create new forms of discrimination. For example, discrimination risks towards men suffering from long-term medical conditions or eroding existing protections. So that is a very interesting thing that's playing out in England and I'm sure it's going to come here. Big sigh for me to think of all the men being discriminated against. But anyway, thankfully, we have an excellent menopause conversation lined up for you with Mona El-Tahawi, who is the feminist firebrand many of you will admire. The Egyptian-American journalist and social commentator is based in New York City. She's written essays and op-eds for publications worldwide on Egypt and the Islamic world on topics including women's rights, patriarchy and Muslim political and social affairs. Her own battle cry, as you know, is fuck the patriarchy. And she says it loud and proud. She's written two books, Hymens and Headscarves, 
and The Seven Necessary Sins for Women and Girls. She is currently editing a book of essays, pulling together experiences of women going through the menopause all over the world. And she has a lot to say about this important transition. She talks today about the importance of educating ourselves and sharing our experiences. So both of us do a lot of sharing about where we are on our own menopause adventures. And this week also Jacinda Ardern did her last appearance as Prime Minister of New Zealand. So I had to get Mona's reaction to that. I know you always love having her on. And here she is, Mona El Tahawi. We're going to, first of all, just get your reaction to Jacinda Ardern announcing her stepping down. This is kind of really unusual for a person in a big position of power, someone so high profile, to basically put their hands up and say, do you know what, I've given all I can give and I can't do it anymore. And I almost think it's really interesting that it's come from a woman who's being very realistic about what she's able to give. And I don't think, I don't know, maybe I'm being unfair. I can't think of a time when a man in a great position of power like that would willingly just say, do you know what, I've had enough. What was your reaction today? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting here nodding to what you're saying, Roisin. And, I, and especially from over here in the US, where, you know, just over 10 days or so, maybe two weeks ago, Kevin McCarthy did the absolute opposite of what Jacinda Ardern did, you know? We saw this man who was clinging to power in this pathetic, humiliating way. And he really was humiliated by his fellow Republicans. It wasn't even the opposition that humiliated him. And we're now seeing a woman who was in a much higher position of power than he was, saying, I've given everything. I don't have the energy to continue. It's not because the job is hard. It's just that I think that someone can continue the job now. Thank you very much. I'm leaving. Or she's not leaving, but, you know, she's she's stepping down. So it's incredible. It's an incredible contrast to Kevin McCarthy's desperation to become Speaker of the House in the United States. And it, and it speaks to the way patriarchal power plays out because... Even though Jacinda Ardern isn't the only woman leader, you know, across the world, I think um, the media often make a mistake by comparing her to other female leaders because not every woman in a position of power works against patriarchy. And I think Jacinda Ardern did to a large extent. But many other women in positions of power today work for the patriarchy, like Georgia Maloney in Italy, like Liz Truss in the UK, who lasted less than a wilting lettuce, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I suppose the only danger is, first of all, that there aren't that many. There are a few, as you mentioned, women who reach the top echelons in, in politics. So there's a little bit of sadness in a way that we've lost somebody so inspirational, so good at their job, really dynamic. I know there was criticisms of her. Nobody's perfect. But at the same time, she seemed like a really straight talking, non-patriarchal type of person. And it is sad to lose that. It really is, because when you look at what, and, and like you said, of course she has criticisms. And, you know, the, the Irish Times article that your producer sent me earlier today mentioned some of them, uh, like inflation and social issues and other things that, that New Zealanders are worried about. But I think when we look at her record as well, um, there's a lot that she did that should make us miss her years in power. Like she worked against child poverty. Um, she, I think she's the first leader who got parliament in New Zealand uh, to do something about intimate partner violence and domestic abuse and say, you know, you can take time off work and you can go and see doctors and you can take paid time off work. Because when you look at the amount of time that women especially have to take off because of intimate partner violence, this is something nobody talks about. And she put it front and centre in, in New Zealand. She got, you know, incredible gun reform passed after the Christchurch mosque massacre. You know, so she did things against the patriarchy in a way that we don't see other women leaders do. And it's almost like it's a price of admission for power that women have to uphold the patriarchy in order in order to reach those highest positions. Whereas Jacinda Ardern gave us some examples. Of course, I would have wanted much more, many more. She gave us some examples of what you can do against the patriarchy when you get to those high levels of power. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for that. And I'm sure Jacinda Ardern is in favour of leave for the menopause as well when people are having difficulties in work. So we can talk about that because that's what you're here to talk to us about today. You have been writing some blistering stuff over the past year or so um, about menopause. I know you're writing a book about it too. So that's why we wanted to get you on because in a way on the Women's Podcast, we're going to make 2023 the year of menopause. I was talking to you earlier about the fact that um, Joe Duffy and Liveline have discovered menopause. It's now in the 
mainstream narrative in Ireland. So we're trying to ride that wave, that crimson wave, or should I say there's no more crimson anymore. That's kind of the point of the menopause. But anyway, <laughs> we wanted to talk to you about it because you're quite radical in your thinking. You have written essays, including one that says menopause is amazing. Menopause is shit. So maybe start off by telling us about your own particular journey and what sparked your interest. Sure. Well, you know, just before we leave um, Jacinda Ardern altogether, I wish, this is a reason I wish she had stayed because she's, I think, 43. So she's probably in the early days of her perimenopause. And I wish she'd stayed so that she could be as open about her menopause transition as she's been about other things because she was only the second female leader of a country to give birth while in office. The first one was Benazir Bhutto in Pakistan. So, you know, had... Jacinda Ardern stayed. I think she would have joined the ranks of Nicola Sturgeon, first minister of Scotland, who so far is the only, this is, this is so difficult to believe, I have to say it again, is the only female leader of a country to speak about her menopause transition. And it's not like, you know, others didn't go through it. Margaret Thatcher, Indira Gandhi, Angela Merkel, Hillary Clinton, even though she wasn't a leader, but, you know, she, she was, you know, a very powerful woman. And there is Nicola Sturgeon alone. And I think... That, you know, that's one of the reasons that my, my essays are blistering, Roisin, because the taboo and the silence and the shame around this, you know, most natural transition of our life. If you've ever had a uterus or ovaries, if you have ever menstruated, you are going to go through the menopause transition. That's, that makes it, you know, half of society. Of course, not every, not all, um, um, it's not just cisgender women. There are non-binary people, there are trans men, there are intersex people. But, you know, here I speak as a cisgender woman, like half of the population of this globe is going to go through menopause and we act like it's a big secret. So I'm so glad, Joe, and the listeners of his show have discovered it. And yeah, that's Joe's why been began... all over the menopause. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was one of the reasons that I began to write about it. Not so much about, you know, you should take um, menopause hormone therapy or do this or that. I write about it from a much more like emotional standpoint, intellectual standpoint, the kind of like the experiential aspects of of menopause. That's why I say menopause is shit. Menopause is amazing because it has kicked my fucking ass. <laughs> Let's talk about that first, uh, Mona. Tell us all the ways, before we get on to the good stuff, the ways it's kicked your ass. Now, you're sitting here in front of me with bright yellow hair and um, beautiful yellow jewellery, as you always are, so colourful. But that's a deliberate thing, isn't it? Almost a kind of consequence of, of your meno rage or whatever we could describe it as. You know, during lockdown, Roisin, I shaved off all of my fiery red, long, curly hair because I didn't want to emerge from lockdown as if I'd been on holiday for like, you know, three weeks. I, I wanted a new me to represent this new world that we're living in now. And I realized that it was also a part of what I call unbecoming. Because I think what my menopause transition has taught me is that I have to let go of the Mona I used to be. And, and that's what I connect to the pandemic. Because I hate that phrase, going back to normal, because there is no going back to normal. And first of all, fuck normal. Normal hurts so many people. And, and so I, I can't and I don't want to go back to normal. So this new vivid yellow hair now, you know, very short hair, unlike my long curly red hair, represents my way of letting the old Mona go so that this new Mona, and I'm now post-menopause, thank goodness you can congratulate me. I accept all congratulations. Well done, Mona. I'm very happy for you. Happy M Day, although it was a, bit, a while ago. Yeah, It was. It was in November, exactly. But like now I want I want this new Mona to emerge and, you know, recognizing, you know, all the ways that my menopause transition has been really difficult. And I've been as honest as I can about it. And one of the things that you often hear is uh, the menopause transition. And as, as women get older, we become invisible. And I reject this idea utterly. Because first of all, I ask, invisible to who? If it's invisible to those pieces of shit on the street who are constantly catcalling us, then yeah, great. I welcome the invisibility. But of course we're not invisible. This is patriarchy. This is patriarchy telling us that what used to make us quote unquote powerful. Now, you know, we were talking about power before. Patriarchy recognizes, because this is the only power that it gives us, the power of youth and fertility in cis women, in cisgender women. And then patriarchy wants us to think that we've lost that power because we can no longer have babies and we're no longer young. And for, for women like me who are child-free by choice, that was never a power I wanted. So my yellow hair now is not just to say the pandemic has changed the world. It's to say that this Mona that I'm becoming 
it's like, you know, fuck the patriarchy even more because I'm even more powerful now. And the menopause transition is one of the ways I've learned my new power. I love that idea of unbecoming. It's kind of the opposite of our lovely Michelle Obama, who has a book called Becoming. <laughs> so we can both become and unbecome, I suppose, at the same time. Let's not yes. knock Michelle. And, you know, um, just to, to talk about Michelle Obama, to her credit, um, Roisin, she has been one of the women who have spoken very openly about her menopause transition, about hot flashes and, and all of that. So I appreciate that on her podcast, she has been very open about menopause. So even though our books are coming at it from different directions, I'm glad to have her voice. Yes, two of your allies together in this in this world. Um, so tell me about some of the ways it has kicked your ass, because let's get through that first and then let's talk about the kind of other things on the other side of it as well. So I think when I first began, so first of all, you know, as a feminist, I have to say, I was really embarrassed and ashamed that I had no idea how long perimenopause. So let, let's do a few like very brief definitions. Perimenopause is, the, uh, 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 is basically the phase that leads up to that M day. Because menopause is just one day. Now, can I stop you there for a second, Mona? Because you taught me that. I did not know that. I think I read something of yours and my mind was blown. I went around my house and talking to three people who have no interest who actually were telling me to shut the F up talking about this nonsense. My partner and my two teenage daughters. I was like, how can it just be one day? So the idea of this is that you're only ha- your menopause lasts one day after not having a period for 365 days. So for one whole year, you have to have not a period. And then this one day comes and that's the menopause. And everything after that is post-menopausal. Am I right in exactly that? Exactly right. Isn't that amazing yeah. that we didn't know that? I didn't know that until very recently. <laughs> well, can I tell you something else, Mona? This is very, we can get, you know, we can share. We know each other quite a bit. I'm a bit raging this week, to be honest, because I had 240 days under my belt and I got a period this week No, and it was a horrible one and I horrible cramps and it's really heavy. And I'm absolutely I thought I was near that M day Mm -hmm. and now I have to start again, don't I? Yes, you do. Oh, Roisin, I feel for you. Oh, no. I went, awful. It re- I was I, dying to tell you. I was hoping I was going oh, to tell you I'm on day 245. Oh, oh. So my uterus, here's your uterus. Because I went, I went for 10 months without a period. And I really thought, that's it, people. Two more months and I'm done. And that was back in 2020, I think it was. No, 2021. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And it, like 10 and months. And did you get a period? I, 10 months and I got a period in 2021. And I had to start all over again. So that's so, where I'm at, Mona. Yes. Do you know what I feel like? I'm really raging. I, I completely understand. Oh God. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Roisin. <laughs> Hang in there. So that's Okay, well so so you started again and then it did eventually come. I, I did. So I started again at um November of twenty twenty one and and that's why my M Day came in November of twenty twenty two. You know, somewhere in, in, I think it was November 18 or something. Well, no, I can't remember now. Someday in November. But so, so that's it. So menopause is this one day that marks you, you didn't have a period for 12 months. The years leading up to that are called perimenopause. And the, the years after that, as you said, are postmenopause. Feminist as I am, I didn't know that perimenopause could last anywhere between 10 to 14 years. Can you imagine? <laughs> when I learned oh that... <laughs> I was like, okay, who do I kill for this? <laughs> what do I destroy for this? <laughs> 10 oh to 14 God. years. And I learned this from a friend of mine who was writing a book called What Fresh Hell Is This About Menopause? <laughs> That's a great title. Right. It's almost as good as your title, Bloody Hell. <laughs> exactly. Because it's like all kinds of exclamations of, you know, I need to destroy something. So when I learned this, I was like, what kind of a feminist am I that doesn't know this? And that's when I really began to like take a deep dive. So um, this friend of mine, her name, um, sorry, their name, because their pronouns are they, them. Their name um, is Heather Corinna. And Heather has written a, this book called What Fresh Hell Is This? And I learned from Heather that um, the, the better word to use is impacts of menopause, because, you know, menopause isn't a disease. So I've stopped saying symptoms of menopause. It's not a disease. It's a very natural transition. So one of my earliest impacts of menopause Roisin, and this is again something we don't talk about, was vaginal dryness in my 40s. And I was like, what is happening? Am I taking like, you know, flu medicine too often? Am I, am I not drinking enough water? You know, when I go in and see my, my OBGYN, my doctor, 
And she'd say, well, you know, try this position and try that position. And I'd go and try this position and that position. And it wasn't the position. It was my perimenopause. So that was one of the very, very early impacts of it. And then when I, very soon after I turned 50, I was horrified to learn that I would wake up in the morning with this impending sense of doom. And at first, honestly, Roisin, I thought, my God, I'm falling into the stereotype of I'm 50, my life is over. Oh my God, what kind of a feminist am I that I've given into these messages? But it was anxiety. And I'm not, I've never been an anxious person. And anxiety is one of the most common impacts of menopause. And that's why I, I say I write essays less about, you know, hormoneness and take that, but much more about the experience of it. And that impending sense of doom is anxiety related to menopause. So I began to take this deep dive and read as much as I could. I'm basically a self-taught menopause, you know, and that's where I've kind of like added up all of these things. And now I know what to do about vaginal dryness. And I talk about vaginal dryness everywhere, A, because um, one of the worst things that, that I think is not talked about, or one of the harshest things that is not talked about is vaginal atrophy that affects so many menopausal people and has all kinds of impacts, not just, you know, wrecks your sex life, but UTIs and difficulty in being examined when you go to the doctor. So you want to avoid vaginal atrophy at all costs. And I am now in that I'm doing something about it. And the sex is great. And the vaginal dryness has been taken care of. But we have to talk about it in order for those things to happen. What are you doing for the vaginal dryness? So I'm glad your sex is great. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm a big, big sex positive proponent of fuck until you die. Okay, that's going to be on your grave or something. (laughs) What's that? I I fucked until I died. I'll be on your gravestone. (laughs) On my gravestone, exactly. (laughs) So look, um, I have not wanted to go down the route of menopause hormone therapy or what some people call HRT, hormone um, replacement therapy, um, because when I was younger, um, hormonal birth control did not work for me. It, it made me depressed. It bloated me. It just did not work for me. So I can't, I can't do hormones. And so what I, what I did in the run-up, so when, when I discovered, you know, all these things that I've learned about, I started using vaginal moisturizers. In the way that you moisturize your face every morning, you have to moisturize your vulva and your vaginal canal. And here are two definitions now. The vagina isn't this whole thing down there. The vagina is is the vaginal opening that leads into the the vaginal canal. Everything outside down there is the vulva. And there are many, many aspects of the vulva. So every day you have to moisturize your vulva and your vaginal canal. So I I looked into what are the best moisturizers for that. And depending on where you live, there are moisturizers. And they, they ideally should contain hyaluronic acid, which is also a very popular ingredient of facial moisturizers because, you know, our skin gets dry and you have to moisturize. There's also um, suppositories that I started using that have that contain hyaluronic acid and some of them also contain coconut oil. And then when I knew that my menopause day was coming up, so this was at the, the beginning of November, I went to my OBGYN and I said, look, I know once I reach this day, hormones are going to start kind of like, you know, going down even sharper and I do not want vaginal atrophy. So what are my options? So there, there is, I don't know if you have it in Ireland or not, but um, it's called um, Intrarosa. And it's basically this, it's a steroid that's called DHAE or something like that. And what it does is, it's not a hormone, it's, it's made from plants. And when you put the suppository in your vaginal canal, it stimulates the tissue in the vaginal canal to produce estrogen and androgens, which then help with vaginal uh, moisturizing and lubrication and all of that. So that I take every day and it's safe and it's been um, um, approved by the FDA here in the US. Now in Ireland and the UK, you have, a, um, I think there are other hormones that people use. This is not a hormone. I know that they have vaginal estradiol and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can get at the pharmacy and all of that. But there are things to use and I urge everyone listening to especially pay attention because this is one of the things least talked about. Can we talk about rage then? I think I think you've called it meno rage or some people call it like that. Like I have friends who found themselves who very placid people who found themselves absolutely their personalities completely transformed and they did go on HRT and they found it really, really helpful for them. Um, I'm sort of on in your camp. I don't really I, I never really I never took the pill and I don't really fancy doing anything like that. So I'm curious about other options that aren't HRT that are 
Uh, but there are things out there that are different. Is that right? There are. There are a whole bunch of things. So there, there are. I've also looked into things called adaptogens, and they are things like uh, maca root, um, ashwagandha. There, there's a whole. Uh, there's a sports scientist called Dr. Stacy Sims. I think she's coincidentally from New Zealand, and I've learned so much about the menopause transition in our bodies and how we can best help our bodies through her work. So I highly recommend going onto her website and getting a book of, of hers that she wrote called Next Level, because it's right here on my on, on my bookshelf. Next Level by Stacey Sims and uh, a co-author, Celine Yeager. And she recommends um, many adaptogens and supplements that you can use that can help. Um, so there are a variety of, of vitamins that I take, maca root, um, ashwagandha, as I said. And uh, the the rage thing is is an interesting one because I think it's a necessary reaction to what I call the patriarchal fuckery that we were socialized into accepting, and then we get to the stage of our lives where like why the hell did I accept all this, you know? And and we're now older, uh, we're recognizing all these changes in our in in our body and our lives that are happening, and I think this is finally the stage where we are like I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Nicola Sturgeon even talked about this, and she says that um, her HRT helped with, with her rage. But I welcome that rage, Roisin. I want anyone going through the menopause transition, especially cisgender women who've been socialized into just swallowing all of this rubbish that we're socialized into swallowing, to take this, this transition and go, no, fuck that. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I, and I think so it's, it's kind of demonized by some by patriarchy, obviously, because it doesn't want us to recognize that we're now growing into this power, that we're unbecoming or becoming or whatever you want to call it. It wants us to shrink and become these invisible women that nobody sees anymore. Whereas I see the opposite happening. I see so many women, especially, embracing that power and saying, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And interestingly, you the, the numbers of, of of the rate of divorce of perimenopausal cisgender women. You know, goes through the roof, and you're like, you're sitting there going, "Well, I know why that's happening. <laughs> that's no secret. You don't have to do a study to tell me why." Do you know what I mean? So I think yeah. the the rage I welcome, but obviously, you know, if it's impacting your life, then you know there are things you can do about it. But rage, rage against that patriarchy. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, talk to me more about this. I think you also use the, the phrase unlearning, like that you were shedding a skin almost, that you're kind of becoming this this other Mona. And, and you say, what if menopause is not a reckoning with losing what patriarchy has made us powerful? And instead that we understand that powerful and desirable are not always the same thing. So that we're not like you, you talked about it earlier, not not going invisible. And it's at the point of the yellow hair then it's saying you actually have to look at me here. I mean, one of your things in the seven necessary sins for girls is, is looking for attention. How you love, you think women should ask for attention, but you're definitely doing that with the yellow hair. So talk to me more about that. Why at this stage of our lives, instead of trying to blend in and fade away, we need to be making more efforts to stand out. Mm. Well, you know, I, I so the yellow hair for me is... This is the new Mona now. This is this is who I am now. It's a different stage of my life. And most definitely, I'm not shrinking or becoming invisible anywhere. So it, it's a part of all of that. And it, it's it's a way also of 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 emerging. Cause cause like I, like like you say, you know, it's the unlearning and the unbecoming that I write about are all parts of this emerging into the new Mona. And instead of getting a period every month like I used to, where I would shed the lining of my uterus, I'm now shedding 
the patriarchal fuckery that I was socialized into. You're going to bleep up half of my sentences, I know. <laughs> no, but Mona, we're not actually. Oh, you don't bleep? Oh, I love it. Okay, thank you, Irish Times podcast. <laughs> Unlike yeah, just, the BBC over in the UK. don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm delighted. So this idea of shedding, I'm shedding that patriarchal fuckery, finally, you know. And it the, the other thing, you know, along with the rage, Roisin, and the, and the yellow hair is less look at me and more... Who am I becoming and and emerging into that Mona? But shamelessness. And and you know, I would I would connect the vivid yellow hair with shamelessness. Because one of the things that I really relish about the menopause transition is that it has made me shameless, you know. I, I first wrote about my two abortions in September of 2021. Look how long it took me to write about something that happened, you know, 25 years before that. I thank my menopause transition and the shamelessness that it brought me. Vaginal dryness. Everywhere I go, I talk about vaginal dryness. My trainer goes, what? <laughs> you know, you were like, what? It's like, we have to talk about these things. And it's, so I, I am, the, the awe of menopause for me is that it has made me even more shameless than I used to be, you know? And I, I love that. I love it. Who would have thought that was possible, Mona, actually? <laughs> but I have a friend, I won't mention her name, but she's uh, she's going to love this because she was asking me about vaginal dryness a while back. And I kind of, I did this tumbleweed silence on the text and I, I didn't know what to say to her. So she can just listen to this instead and listen to you talking about Oh yeah, about it. Send, her, send her my essay, Moisturise Your Vagina. <laughs> I will. Now, you talk about also how the menopause prompted... A kind of period of introspection and that was different for you because as you've spoken about before you are child free by choice so the menopause transition is about kind of this idea that we're no longer you know childbearing ability and that that should be a sense of mourning but for someone who's deliberately chosen not to have children was that a different experience do you think it, it really is. I mean, like in, in, in my essay, Menopause is Shit, Menopause is Amazing. I, you know, I, I do make the point that we basically end up at the same point, which is, you know, post-menopause. But I think that what, one of the reasons that I write and as openly as I can is that um, cisgender women especially are told, you know, you've lost, quote unquote, you've lost whatever power patriarchy gave you, which is youth and fertility. And you are now, quote unquote, useless to society. So I look at that and I go, okay, so you're talking about these um, milestones that I should have achieved in my life, right? Which is, you know, get married, buy a house, have children. Okay, I am not married, I'm divorced, I do not own a house, I rent, and I'm child-free by choice. Now what, you know? If those were the powers that patriarchy gave me, and then, and now patriarchy is taunting me by taking them away, I refuse those powers from patriarchy. So the, what, what does that mean, you know? So now what? So I think we have to approach menopause also, or the, or the menopause transition, from that angle, so that we can wrestle away those life transitions from patriarchy. So that, you know, what I call the three M's, menstruation, motherhood, and menopause, can be free of patriarchy and can be what we make of them. Because I don't have that motherhood, I don't have that M in the middle. But I remember when I first got my period, when I was 11 and a half, it's it, a lot of cisgender women especially say that when they go through the menopause transition, they think more and more about their younger self when they first got their period. And I remember when I first got my period, very soon after, it was like, I didn't recognize my body, Roisin. It was like thighs out of nowhere, hips out of nowhere. My breasts didn't go very far, so I can't say my breasts went, no. You know, it was basically my thighs and my hips. And I was like, whose body is this? And as I'm going through the menopause transition, it's almost identical. I stand in the mirror naked every morning going, Whose body is this? Because it has literally changed before my eyes. But I now have the, the words and the wherewithal to look at that and not like panic or feel lost in the way that I did when I was 11 and a half. So that, that's how I want us to approach the menopause transition, you know, away from what patriarchy told us made us good or whole or what we've quote unquote lost. I have lost nothing because I didn't want those things that patriarchy, you know, like handed out to me as whatever cake or sweets or crumbs or whatever. But we're all at this stage now, whether we had children or not, whether we married or not, we are here now. So what are we going to make of this stage and how do we wrestle it free of patriarchy's dirty grip? 
I love it. We hear stories as well, and we talked about it earlier, menopause leave. Women who like try to hide their symptoms at work in case they're singled out as being vulnerable. And some people actually go as far as to leave their job or go, go part time because of it. So you explore that as well in some of your writing. What's your, what's your take on that and how uh, workplaces need to get with the programme in terms of, you know, their workforce going through this? Absolutely. I, I think that we are far, far behind in in talking about what the menopause transition is like at work. Uh, one of the saddest things I ever read, Roisin, was this article in a Canadian newspaper. I think it was the Toronto Star. And I mentioned it in my essay where this woman who'd like made it up the corporate ladder, you know, in all the aspects of success that you could imagine. She said, um, so one of the impacts of menopause is um, insomnia and, you know, how it fucks up your sleep. And I went through that and it's it's awful. It's really difficult. And she said, how can I compete with the men when I can't sleep? And I was just, that just enraged me. Because I thought, first of all, you can't compete with the men when you can't sleep. And second of all, you were never meant to compete with the men because you are talking about competing in a system that was built by cisgender men. And these are now white, able-bodied, wealthy cisgender men. And it's a system built by them and for them. And, you know, they allowed a few of us in, you know, it took ages to allow a few of us in. And those of us who were allowed into the system had to leave everything that made us. And again, I speak about cisgender women because the non-binary and trans experience is even harder. But I speak as a cisgender woman. Whatever, you know, I come from a generation, I think we're about the same generation. No, I'm older than you, Roisin. But I think... Only slightly though, yeah. But I think your generation will will definitely identify for a generation where we had to leave at home everything that made us cisgender women so that we could compete in a man's world, right? We couldn't talk about our period and how it impacted us at work. We couldn't talk about anything that impacted us at work. So we basically had to be these fake men, you know, to be to, so we can succeed in their world. And then the menopause transition comes at you and you're like, how? Like this woman said, how can I compete with the men when I can't sleep? And so finally, we're finding some countries... Um, giving menopause, either giving menopause leave or giving uh, doing menopause transition. But I'll tell you one thing, and this is why I really appreciate Nicola Sturgeon, because she knows that it will make us seem weak and vulnerable, but she's saying, you know what? There are so many other cisgender women going through this right now. This is not weak or vulnerable. This is a most natural life transition. And that's the only way that we can change it. But one thing I recently came across, Rasheen, and I, I plan on writing about it, is this researcher who found that when you give people... Um, these kind of like made up characters and you say to them, this is a menopausal woman. So it's basically to test leadership and menopause, a menopausal woman, a non-menopausal woman and compare them at work. Men and women trusted more, quote unquote, or thought more um, the the non-menopausal woman was more of a leader. But this changed because they thought that the menopausal woman was a liability. She, you know, her hormones, all this stuff that we're usually riddled with. But she said this changed when in, in these examples they gave them, the menopausal woman talked openly and unashamedly about her menopause. So for example, you're in a staff meeting and you suddenly get drenched in sweat because of a hot flash, right? The menopausal woman in this situation who says, oh, don't mind me, I'm just going through menopause. And you know, everyone goes, ha ha, whatever, is considered much more of a leader than the one who gets embarrassed, runs out and pretends that nothing happened and hides her impacts. Do you know what I mean? So again, yeah. this is this is a reason to be shameless and to embrace all of this and to talk openly because the more we reject the stigma, the more we break down the stigma. Mm. Amoni, you're always ahead of your time, I think. And in this, you're really on the, on the curve with people, women around the world, redefining the narrative around menopause, like changing how we speak about it. Why is it so important that we do that? What is going to come from that, do you think? Well, I think primarily, you know, as lifespans get longer and longer around the world. So I, I, I became menopausal at the age of 55. Here's hoping I, I live to say 80, okay, even 75. That's another two, two and a half decades of postmenopausal life. I'm supposed to shrink and be invisible for the next 25 years? Fuck that shit. I'm not going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? So, so this, so primarily because we have so many years ahead of us, which I hope are going to be healthy, fruitful years. I don't want to say productive. I I don't want to do this whole work, work, work until you die thing. No, I want our years post-menopause to be fruitful, healthy, full of love and joy. So this, I think, is the reason. 
But for me, it's a feminist reason. And, and it is to, uh, to unleash the grip of patriarchy on our life narratives. Our lives belong to us. We must make them what we want them to be. And we own the story of our life. And we have to tell that story in the way we want. I want to talk to you just briefly before we go as well about Iran and Afghanistan and just the very, very depressing and enraging things that are going on there. But also, I suppose, about the hope and the joy of women in Iran rising up um, in as much as they can. What are you feeling about the situations in those countries now? Well, I think the feminist revolution in Iran is the most important thing happening in the world right now. I really do. Because I, I look at it, you know, uh, from my my position here in the US where, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned last year. The Republicans control the House, you know, and, and theocracy is on the rise in the United States. And I'm looking at the women and men rising up in Iran uh, in a very feminist and queer revolution where they recognize trans rights, where they recognize working class rights, where they recognize all, all the ethnicities rising up with them, including Kurdish people, because the woman who was killed Masa Gina Amini was Kurdish. Her death sparked the revolution. I look at that and I think, my goodness, you know, it is is definitely time for what we call white feminism to sit down and learn from the feminism of the Iranian revolution, from the feminism of so many um, movements and revolutions around the world, like Argentina and Mexico, that decriminalized abortion, you know, in the opposite direction of the United States. And I think that revolution in Iran is going to impact the entire world, specifically the region around Iran, like my country of birth, Egypt, where revolutions that we had in 2010 and 2011 has stumbled and basically just kind of been strangled out of existence. But also they're going to they're going to inspire the whole world um, outside of the region of the Middle East and North Africa, including Afghanistan. Because I went to a protest here in New York where Afghan women were there supporting what was happening in Iran. And I think what happened in Afghanistan speaks to the cowardice of the United States and the way that it it withdrew so quickly and recklessly and basically just, you know, left this country that it broke to the to the Taliban. And we've seen the Taliban now theocracy, pure patriarchal, misogynist theocracy, you know, basically strangling the life out of that country. Girls and women can't go to school or university. Uh, women are banned from sports. And I think that um, here in the United States, especially, anyone watching what is happening in Iran and Afghanistan and not connecting what's happening in the US with rising theocracy is a fool. And I think that my friends in Ireland will know exactly what I'm talking about because you've had a revolution against theocracy and you've won. So I think that um, Irish people can look at what's happening in Iran and understand viscerally what they're rising up against because you successfully rose up against that. Mm. I just want to take it back to the menopause uh, briefly as well. I'm interested because you, you, I love the way you're so open about how kind of embarrassed you were in a way about how little you knew. Because even you, I would have thought, I mean, I look up to you on so many levels and I would have thought you would have known everything about everything. But this was a whole subject you didn't know about. So I'm curious about then and younger listeners perhaps listening now. I think it's something that we kind of it's on a need to know basis. But do you think there's some... Um, you know, importance of, of preparing in a way for as a younger woman being aware of what's ahead and, and getting ourselves more um, knowledge instead of just being suddenly when you hit 49 or 48 or whenever it is being bamboozled with all this stuff. Absolutely, Roisin. I really think in the way that we now talk about sex education in school shouldn't just be about how you get pregnant and how to prevent sexually transmitted infections. We should also talk about um, pleasure and consent and the three M's, you know, menstruation, motherhood and menopause. Let's talk to children about these very natural life transitions. Let's share our experiences with our younger friends, be they cis, non-binary, intersex, you know, whatever. My, my newsletter, Feminist Giant, is free, especially because of that, because I want that feminist knowledge to be freely available to everyone. Um, this anthology that I'm editing, Bloody Hell, uh, through Unbound in the UK, is bringing in contributors from around the world of different life stages. So some of them went through early onset menopause. And that's why I think we should talk to our younger friends because some people go through early onset menopause. Um, there's, there's one contributor in the book who is a black woman who is living with HIV. And she's going to be talking about what it's like to be black, HIV positive and menopausal. You know, I've got women in India, women in Ghana, because all of those experiences together 
make the whole. And each of us experience the menopause transition so differently. And the more we speak about it, the less shame there is. And the more we prepare those coming, you know, after us for for what this is. I, I truly was bamboozled into this. And I say very openly, my goodness, how did I know so little? And so now you can't get me to shut up about the menopause. <laughs> okay. And finally... You talked about joy earlier and how you're going to spend these last whatever, you know, the, you know, a lot of years that you have left. But what's bringing you joy at the moment? What's bringing postmenopausal Mona joy uh, in New York at the moment? What are, what's giving you life? Powerlifting, Roisin. Like I keep saying, oh. you know, Stacey Sims and um, Celine Yeager's book, Next Level. I train three days a week with this wonderful trainer called Gina Fanelli. And we do everything from deadlifts to back squats to sumo squats to good, God knows what else. But the feeling, so, you know, I've done talk therapy before. I've had depression in the past. I've chosen this time around to do body work rather than talk therapy because the, our bodies hold so much trauma, which we're often unaware of. And I think my, my menopause transition really like brought that to a head. So I thought, let's let's try the body work. And it has been incredible, Roisin. Like I, I say on Instagram, because I post videos of me doing these deadlifts on Instagram, and I see the heavier the weights that I lift, the lighter I feel, the more I let go. The heavier I lift, the more I let go. I feel the tectonic plates of my body shift. It's like an earthquake is happening. And and a volcano, my, my trainer says to me, you're a volcano and an earthquake at the same time, Mona. And I'm like, thank you. That's, an, that's a, a real compliment. And I really feel... Like this trauma that I was holding in my body for various reasons, Roisin, I'm finally letting letting go every time I pick those barbells up, those big deadlift weights up. It's that's my joy right now. Powerlifting. I love it. OK, so powerlifting for the menopause. I love it. That will be your next book about that. I think you should, <laughs> you should do it. Mona, as always, it's been enlightening and joyous and incredible to speak to you. And I hope we speak to you again soon. But in the meantime, I wish your postmenopausal journey well. I hope mine. I'm just it, I'm just going back to your 10 months and having a period. Did you have that period and then you didn't have one for a year? Was that the way it works? I'm hoping that's what's going to happen to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so towards the end, my periods were all over the place. Sometimes they would last two weeks. Sometimes it would be super heavy. I'm like, what is happening? So I had the, the last period. No, no, you know what? So I had the period after 10 months and then it came back again. So that, that was, I think, in like April of 2021. And then I got another period in October of 2021 and um, towards the end of that month. And then that was it. So prepare. You might get another one in, a, in like two or three months or maybe not. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm urging your uterus. I'm sending, I'm sending blessings to your uterus. <laughs> Mona is speaking to your uterus and telling your uterus, you can, you can, you can stop now. You can sit down, uterus. <laughs> I love you're, you're now a uterus whisperer as, ever, as well as everything else. <laughs> I love it. Mona El Tahawi, thank you so much. Thank you, Roisin. Always a pleasure. That was the very brilliant Mona El Tahawi there. Do get in touch with us about your own menopause adventure by email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com or on social at IT Women's Podcast. This podcast is produced by Adrian Finnegan, Suzanne Brennan and me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.